What a joy this is at the uh, this sort of tradition. I never take it for granted, but uh, it is a joy to be here this Sunday between Christmas and New Year's and to share God's word with you. I'd like to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I thank God that in the glorious task of preaching, I've never needed to choose between uh, practical sermons that make a practical difference in our everyday lives, are highly useful for everyday living. I've never needed to choose between that kind of sermon and sermons that focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that I haven't had to choose between practical sermons and Christ-filled sermons is because knowing Christ is the most practical and life-changing knowledge in all the world. It is as we behold him that we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And here in these opening verses of Hebrews, we behold the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at these first four verses. Our title is Christ, our prophet. Christ, our prophet. Hebrews 1, verse 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the preaching of his word. It was in the 1930s and 1940s that English author J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his epic fantasy novel set in the Middle Earth, which is The Lord of the Rings. Uh, When it was first published, you may know this, critics didn't really know what to do with The Lord of the Rings because long fantasy novels for adult readers wasn't really a thing at that time. And so in 1961, one critic wrote in the London Observer, and predicted that the popularity of these, quote, dull, ill-written, childish books would soon fade into a merciful oblivion. Well, that's a take that has not aged well at all. Uh, The Lord of the Rings trilogy is estimated to have sold over 150 million copies, making it one of the most successful works of literature of all time. What many of those readers however, don't understand is the way that the story really beautifully and really powerfully reveals the threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. 
Tolkien said he does not like allegory, but he also said that his work is filled with Christian imagery and meaning. Uh, there's an author and uh, pastor, well now leads a, uh, a college, Phil, Philip Riken. He has a delightful little book called The Messiah Comes to Middle Earth, Images of Christ's Threefold Office in the Lord of the Rings. And what he explains is that all three of the main protagonists or heroes in the Lord of the Rings are Christ figures and that each one echoes the offices of Christ. Gandalf, the prophet, who just like the prophet Moses and the prophet Elisha uses his staff to perform signs and wonders. He's a wise man who sees the future, who speaks the truth. Frodo then as priest and, of course, Aragorn as king. All three experience different forms of death and resurrection. All three are saviors, deliverers, who through their self-sacrifice help to save Middle-earth from the evil Sauron. So Barry Gordon in the 1960s said, Middle-earth is saved through the priestly self-sacrifice of the hobbit Frodo, through the wisdom and guidance of Gandalf the wizard, and through the mastery of Aragorn, the heir of kings. Now, I realize um, you may not be a fan of the Lord of the Rings. In fact, it's not a prerequisite for being a Christian that you have read the Lord of the Rings or that you even like the Lord of the Rings. For some of you, I've already gone on long enough about the Lord of the Rings. So you don't need to be a fan of the books, but each one of us does need to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ And one of the best ways to do that, and I wonder if you've ever thought about it this way, is to understand Christ and to know Christ in his offices as prophet, priest, and king, as taught in Holy Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, as you read your Bible, there were many prophets and priests and kings God gave to the people. And each of those offices had a distinct function. And each office has a function that meets a very distinct need in our lives. Our need for guidance. Our need for righteousness. Our need for protection. And each one of those Old Testament offices exists to point to a distinct aspect of the person and work of Christ so that we would deepen our knowledge and understanding of the glory of this Savior. The author of Hebrews is concerned with our knowledge of Christ. And that is my concern for Christians today as well. Professor and theologian D.A. Carson says that after decades of teaching, if there's one thing he has learned, it is this. He says that students don't learn everything he teaches them. What they learn is what he's most excited about. And he says, the church and those who are a part of the church need to be excited about the gospel because this is how we pass on our heritage. It will not work to assume the gospel and then to make some other issue the thing that really captures our hearts. If we make that mistake, the following generation is indeed likely to lose the gospel altogether. And so God, through his word, through this presentation of the glory of Jesus Christ, is recentering Christ in our affections. He would have us, as we go into a new year, 
have Christ reigning as supreme in our hearts and have views of his glory filling our minds to see and to know the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to have our hearts set most deeply on some cause or issue, not this or that area of concern. Christ himself and his finished work must be the center. Every church exists to treasure Christ. And we are not in need of more churches full of Christians who are grumbling their way through life or are mad at the world. What we need are more churches full of Christians who are marveling at the glory and goodness of Jesus Christ. And my concern is that for for far too many believers, our knowledge of Christ is, is shallow and superficial compared to the riches of the knowledge of his person and work. We, we know enough to be saved, but not enough to be fully satisfied in him. And this is why, did you know it comes as a biblical command? We are commanded in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of all the things that you can resolve in the coming year, let's move this to the very top. Resolve to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I see obedience to that one command as the great need in the church today. And our obedience to that one command, growing in our knowledge of Christ, will make all the difference in our lives because it is as we deepen our knowledge of Christ that we experience greater joy and contentment in Christ. It is as we deepen our knowledge of him that we can truly not just sing that our rest is in him, but truly experience that rest in his mercy every day of our lives. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 later in this book puts it in terms of looking to Jesus. We must, we must look to Jesus. We must fix our eyes on him as we run this race, growing in our knowledge of Christ. And one really important and neglected way of doing this is to know him in his offices. Uh, Stephen Wellam says the threefold office of Christ shows us the comprehensive nature. Now follow this. The offices of Christ, the threefold office of Christ shows us the comprehensive nature of both sin's corruption and Christ's salvation. How so? Sin has ruined our knowledge of God. We need a prophet. Sin has corrupted the righteousness of our desires and our deeds. That means we need a priest. And sin has ruined our submission and our obedience to the Lord, not only in our lives, but in all the world which is what explains why the world is the way that it is, because we do not bow our knee to Christ as king, which means that we need a king. If you want to understand the the devastating nature of sin and how knowledge and righteousness and rebellion reign in all of the world, well, it comes from an understanding of the opposite side of this threefold office of Christ. And yet, praise God, that in these offices, we not only see the comprehensive devastation of sin in our lives, 
we also see the fullness and the glory of salvation. Because in this Savior, we have a truthful prophet who comes to deal with all of our ignorance and unbelief. In Christ, we have a sacrificial priest who came to deal not just with some of our sin, but with all of our sin, past, present, and future. And in Christ, we have a powerful king to deal with all of our enemies. And so Thomas Schreiner says, and he's speaking here of of this introduction to Hebrews, we see in the introduction of Hebrews that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet for God's final word is spoken by him and in him. He is the priest by whom the final cleansing of sins is accomplished. And he is the king who reigns at God's right hand. Now today, rather than expositing these verses comprehensively and examining each verse as we would ordinarily do in the preaching of God's word, I want to narrow the focus a bit in this passage to consider specifically what it means that Christ is our prophet. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to the believer? What does it mean to the church? That Christ is our prophet. That a true and better prophet, the ultimate prophet, has come. The first point to consider is this, that God is a speaking God. God has spoken. God spoke to our fathers. These expressions are a reminder that God has not only created people, but God graciously communicates with those he has made. He has made himself plainly known in history and in the world he has made. God is there and he is not silent. He has spoken, not just on occasion, according to verse one, but many times and in many ways recording for, recorded for us in God's word. He spoke, how did he speak? Well, we're told here he spoke by the prophets. So through the Old Testament prophets, from Moses all the way to Malachi, God was speaking. God was authoritatively making himself known and revealing his will through the prophets. Now, what was a the role of the, the Old Testament prophet? They were not just agitators and social reformers, though certainly that was part of it. The prophet was a messenger and representative of God. And prophets saw things that others did not see. And they represented God to the people by speaking the authoritative word of God. Thus says the Lord, making God known. And the prophets, and you'll see this as you're reading through the Bible, and hopefully you have plans not only for scripture memory, but for scripture reading as we approach this new year. You read through the Old Testament and the prophetic books and learn about the prophets. You see that they represented God, not just with their words, but with their entire being, with their behavior, with symbolic acts that are sometimes uh, quite odd. So Jeremiah smashed a clay jar and wore a large yoke at one point. Ezekiel shaved his head and beard and a third of it he burns, a third of it he strikes with the sword and a third of it he scatters to the wind. So 
That's Ezekiel, the prophet, doing his thing. Keep it weird, Ezekiel. Hosea, you remember? Hosea is called to marry unfaithful Gomer, the prostitute. And in all of these things, and in many more, God is speaking. God, God made clear the message he was speaking. And I wonder, do you know how people responded to the prophets? Oh, thank you, Mr. Prophet, for speaking the truth we so desperately need to hear. Was not it. No, they hated the prophets because the prophets were willing to declare unpopular truths. They went against popular opinions. They said that people needed to change the way that they were living, to believe the truth, to live for God alone, to escape the divine judgment that we all deserve for our many sins. And that, as it is today, is not a popular message. And so the prophets were rejected. The prophet Jeremiah was imprisoned the prophet Zechariah was killed. Which leads to the second point, and that is that we are all truth-denying people. We are all, every one of us, truth-denying people. What I mean by that is that this is our natural condition. Even though what can be known about God is very plain through the world he has made, through the prophets he has sent, Romans 1 says that we suppress the truth. We suppress what can be known about him and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We live for ourselves. We reject the truth. And friends, this is exactly what people are doing in the world today. We have made ourselves gods. We say that that we determine reality. We live how we want to live. We say that whatever you think is true for you, we have this new tolerance that says we must never suggest that anyone else is wrong in their beliefs. And all of this is a denial and rejection of the God who has made himself known, who has revealed the truth. And so the result is that the whole world is railing against the truth of God by refusing to believe And live according to his word. We have all of us, not just them, not just the other. We have all of us denied and rejected the truth and gone our own way. I grew up in a, in a sovereign grace church. It's the sovereign grace church, um, in Harrisburg, now meeting in, in Mechanicsburg in, in Pennsylvania. And, and you children who have stayed in for the service here may be especially interested in this because when I was, Five, six, seven, I had what seemed to be a great love for the Lord. But then as years progressed, my heart grew further from the Lord and fell more and more in love with the things of this world. And the result was that though I was raised in a faithful, loving, gospel-centered home, as a teenager, I turned my back on all of that. I was, I was bored with with church, certainly, and I was bored with God, though I wouldn't have quite put it that way. I would have said, God and I are on good terms. I just believed in a God who didn't care about any of the details of my life. 
And so, in fact, if you would have gone to the, the church in Harrisburg, we met at that time at a hotel. It was a church about this size. And there were tables in that room. And if you would have come in, you would have seen a teenager sitting in the front row while his dad was preaching with his head down on his arm, sleeping through the entire service. Rude to anyone I interacted with, immediately following the service, going out to the car to wait there for the hour or so until my parents were ready to go. I would try to get out of going to church, and when they would make me go, I wanted everyone to know how miserable I was to be there. I made it my goal to ruin family nights, Whenever my family went on vacations or visited extended family around holiday times, you know, you go, you're somewhere for eight hours. Do you know what I did as a teenager? I stayed in the van the entire time. All Christmas Day, I remember my grandma coming out and saying, please just come and be with us and just, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to my family. I was living how I wanted to live in all of my misery and sin and ignorance. I was running my hellbound race rejecting the truth of God. And I want you to know that where I am today can only be explained by the mercy of God that opened my eyes to see my sin and my need for a savior. And no one was looking at me as a teenager thinking, you know, this guy has potential. Maybe someday he'll be a champion for the truth of God. I was lost in sin. I was dead in sin. And and my story is one of the initiative of God who pursues sinners. And it is a story, by the way, that should bring hope to the parents of wayward teens and wayward children everywhere. Because no one is beyond the reach of the grace and power of the merciful arm of our God. Our need for a, for a prophet speaks to this, this very thing. The ignorance, the folly, the blindness of all humanity. If you want to know what's wrong with the world, this is it. it this, this doesn't mean that, that all godless people are unintelligent in everything. Many unbelievers are brilliant, in fact, and knowledgeable in many things, far more knowledgeable than I am about many things. Well, there was that uh, game show. What is it? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm not smart. I can tell you the answer in my case. When my kids need help with their homework, they know who to go to and who not to go to. I am useless. I can maybe help you a little bit in English or if you're writing. Other than that, they're going to mom for help on math and every other subject. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, that unbelievers are, are ignorant of all things. But here's what it does mean. The natural blindness of, of humanity, the ignorance of humanity. It means this. That when it comes to the things of God, that when it comes to the knowledge of God and his salvation and the weight of eternity, the things that matter most in life, we are all naturally in blindness. We are all naturally in darkness. And this is why we need a prophet. We, we need a prophet we, because we need something from the outside. We need someone from the outside to take the initiative toward us to open our blind eyes. And this is why God 
in his great kindness, has spoken a final word. A continuation of what he spoke through the prophets, yes, but in another sense, altogether different from anything he had ever spoken. He spoke a final word at so great a cost to himself. He has spoken a word that is far greater than any word he had ever spoken before, making himself known to all the world. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us how? By his son. God spoke first by the prophets and he spoke finally by his son. Which leads to the third and last point. Christ is the final prophet. And what I mean is this. That the authoritative speaking of God throughout history. By which God progressively reveals himself and his plans for the world. All of that. That speaking culminates in his son and is complete in his son. Part of what we celebrate in Christmas when we celebrate the incarnation is that a prophet has come. The long-awaited prophet revealing the truth of God has come. The eternal son of God, Jesus taught this during his life. He came into the world to make the father known. The creator of all things through whom also he created the world. This one came as creature so that a world of truth deniers would come to know God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, verse 3 says, which means that Jesus came to reveal the Father's glory. If you want to understand what was he doing, why did he come into the world? All of it is about making the Father known, revealing what kind of God is in heaven. This was what his birth, his life, his death, his ministry, all of it was all about. In his birth, he reveals that God loves sinners, that God takes initiative toward us. The incarnation was not about our pursuit of God, but about God's pursuit of us, the one who seeks after sinners. The teaching ministry of Jesus is a continuation of his prophetic ministry by which he is declaring the truth, revealing the kingdom, revealing the truth about who God is, revealing our need for salvation. His seven sayings on the cross as he hung there in that darkest of hours, reveal the truth about his identity and his mission. So that if you want to understand his prophetic ministry, look to that cross, go to Golgotha, consider with the eye of faith and hear what it was that he spoke, that the prophet spoke in that moment of his death. When he said, as he hung there, Father, Forgive them. He looked upon sinners. He looked upon those who hated him. He looked upon those who despised him and even put him to death. But when he said, Father, forgive them, he revealed as a prophet the heart of God to cleanse sinners. The heart of God to forgive repentant sinners who turn to him for grace. When he said, 
to the man next to him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He revealed the mercy of God that gives future, that gives hope. To all who are hopeless, there is hope for the future. There is a hope of paradise that awaits all who are in Christ and have trusted in him for salvation. And when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was the prophet doing? He was, he was revealing the justice of a holy God who must punish sin. A holy God who, who crushed his son in our place and for our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that sinners like you and me could be accepted. So that sinners like you and me would not need to be forsaken by God. And when he said, it is finished, he declared the victory of God. He declared the triumph of God. The triumph over Satan, over sin, over death, and over hell. All of it is Jesus speaking, the prophetic ministry of the Savior. God has spoken to us by his Son. And so here's, here's what you need to understand. Here's what each one of us must understand. If we want to learn the truth, if we want to know what is truth, Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. If you want to know why God created you, if life doesn't seem to have purpose and meaning, look to Jesus. If you want to know if God really loves you, if you want to know what God thinks of you, if you want to know, okay, my life circumstances seem to call into question whether God cares for me, whether his eye is really toward me, whether he's really for me, whether he really loves me. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Have your view of God be shaped by what he has revealed about himself in Jesus Christ. The eternal God has spoken and has made himself known in Christ. See, Jesus... Jesus not only teaches the word of God, he himself is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to be the final prophet that we might come to a true knowledge of God. No one has ever seen God, but the son of God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. God has spoken by his son. Mark Jones commenting on the office of Christ as prophet says this, Christ in his office of prophet imparts all true knowledge of God and enables us to receive it. So that's what Christ is doing. As, he's, he is imparting all true knowledge of God. Where we come to a knowledge of God, how that's Christ in his work of, of prophet. And he enables us to receive it. Christ as prophet does a work in our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, opening our blind eyes, our pride that resists the truth and goes our own way. All of that, this prophet breaks into and opens blind eyes to see the truth 
as it is revealed in Christ. If you are a skeptic when it comes to Christianity, or if you doubt that you can be sure about spiritual beliefs in general, you might say, how can we really know what God is like? What I would say is, why not take 2024 and use your God-given intellect, your sense of reason, which God has clearly given you if you're asking those kinds of questions, and apply that question to the identity of Jesus, who is unarguably the most important figure historically, in all of the world. Study his life and his teaching and do that with an open mind and you will discover that it is a reasonable faith. Ask God to give you a knowledge of himself. And if you are a Christian who is inclined to doubts, I would want you to know, brother, sister, that you are not alone. And I encourage you to remember that Jesus Christ himself is our teacher and prophet. We're not following our own ideas. We're not following our own opinions. We're following a person. And because we have placed all of our faith in Christ, the only way for our faith to be misguided is for Christ himself to be mistaken and misguided, which is simply impossible. I do not have the Faith, I do not have the nerve to dismiss and disparage the greatest and most influential prophet and teacher the world has ever known. All of our faith, all of our future hangs on him. In Christ, we have a prophet who speaks to every circumstance and condition we face. Some of you may currently be running from God. You're aware of an area of your life that you are drifting from obedience to his word. Well, to the wayward who are not following and obeying God's word with your life, he has brought you here today and he says, my commands are for your good. Build your life upon the rock by hearing and doing the words of Christ. To those who are weak and weary, to those who are wondering if you can even face another year because you are so aware of your own weakness and the exhaustion and the sorrow that life has brought. I want to remind you today, I believe the Lord wants to remind you that you will not find a more tender teacher and a more patient prophet than what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 50 verse 4, it is the voice of the... It's the voice of the servant prophet who would come. It is Jesus speaking in that verse in the servant song. And it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. This is what Jesus specializes in. Sustaining with a word the one who is weary. And it is one of the most glorious aspects of his prophetic ministry. You will find in this coming year, as you spend time in God's word, as you dwell upon his truth, that Christ will be working in that and that he will be sustaining your soul and strengthening your soul by giving words for those who are weary. You see, it's not just that Christ was a prophet who taught during his earthly ministry. Christ continues his prophetic ministry today. And how does he do that? He does it as he teaches us through his word. 
through the word of Christ, through the word of God, through the scriptures. What does it mean to be a church today that embraces Christ as prophet, that follows him in his prophetic office? One of the major things that it means is that we hold fast to God's inerrant and inspired word. It means we are a people of the word. It means we hide this word in our hearts. It means we commit to reading this word and studying this word. It means that the church sees herself as a pillar of the truth and that we are willing to stand upon the truth even when it's unpopular. It means that we trust in God's word even over our own understanding. It means we have this desire to be taught. If, if, if Christ is teaching, if his teaching ministry remains active, well, then we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to take in his word on Sundays as we sit under the preaching of his word, as we gather, as we read the Bible through the week. In all of this, the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. We ought to have an eagerness to be instructed in Christian doctrine, to grow in our knowledge of God, our understanding of Christian living. And it means if we are a people who follow Christ as prophet, it means that we will be sharing this truth with others. He's made known the truth to us. And because we desire this joy to spread to others, we will be a people who share with others the truth that he has graciously made known to us. I exhort you at the outset of this year to be a church of the word. I just love the leadership that Jeremy and Chris are bringing in holding out scripture memory. There may be areas of consistency in God's word and intake of the word that come difficult to you. I want to say, don't be discouraged. The righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. It may be you find in January, you fall seven times. Get back up. Because guess what? February is going to be a new month. The year is not gone. Continue to press into the knowledge of God, hiding his word in your heart, being a people of the word of God and believing in the power of God's word and the prophetic ministry of Christ to accomplish great things in our hearts and in our lives. There's a preacher who told a story from a few centuries ago of a a blacksmith shop with a large, heavy, well-worn anvil in this shop. And one day there was a, a young farm boy who had never left the farm, but he went into town with his dad for the first time. And as he walks into town, this young boy hears this loud sound, this clang, clang, clang. And this boy looks to his father and says, what's, what's that? And the dad said, I'll show you. And so he, he takes his son by the hand and he takes him to the blacksmith shop where there was a strong man lifting a heavy hammer that was crashing down on top of this piece of metal that was on the anvil. And the hammer met the anvil with such force that the boy figured surely that anvil is not going to last long. And so the boy said to the blacksmith, aren't you going to break that thing? And he pointed to the anvil. And the blacksmith just smiled and said, this anvil is a hundred years old and has worn out many hammers. And it was 
the pastor who told the story was John Piper. And he then said that the point of the story is this, that the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. And this is true. In every generation, new hammers are raised against the word of God and the Bible, the power of this word, prevails against them all, against every threat. You see it throughout the history of the church and to this day. The hammer of Gnosticism, the hammer of religious syncretism, the hammer of the prosperity gospel, lies spoken against the truth of God. Every hammer, the hammer of man-made philosophies, the hammer of theological liberalism, the hammer of postmodern relativism, critical theory, gender ideology, secularism, and more. All of them have been raised against the word of God and the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. God's word stands fast through the generations and Christ continues his prophetic ministry through this word of truth that we might be a people of the truth. So I told Jeremy 15 years ago, it was October 15 years ago that I was uh, ordained as a pastor and set in as senior pastor. My, my wife on that occasion got me a gift and it hangs in my study to this day. And it is a picture of an anvil, black and white. And then underneath is a plaque that says, the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. May your life be spent mining and proclaiming the word of God. Well, this is what we desire for each one of us. May our lives be spent trusting in this word, obeying this word, following this word, memorizing this word, treasuring this word in our hearts. In the past, God spoke in many ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken by his son. Praise God that Jesus has come into the world as the best and final word of God. And friends, there is no greater word possible than the word that God has spoken through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank God that our Lord has triumphed over our truth-denying hearts. He has triumphed over every lie, and he has brought us into a knowledge of the gospel. He has brought us together into the joy of knowing Jesus. We need a prophetic, Gandalf-like word of truth, We need a priestly, Frodo-like self-sacrifice for sinners. And we need a kingly, Aragorn-like victor over our enemies. Praise God, a prophet, priest, and king has come. And Christ has met all of our greatest needs. There may be some things that you desire in life that you do not have. And these may be sources of grief, but I can tell you today on the authority of God's word that all your greatest needs have been met fully in Christ. He is a sufficient savior. And so Stephen Wellam says, what a glorious savior he is. Friends, haven't we found him to be a glorious savior, worthy of our praise? What a glorious savior he is. Truly in Christ alone, all our needs are met completely and perfectly. Our need for truth is found in him as the final prophet and revelation of God. 
Our need for a righteous standing before God is achieved by him as our priestly representative, substitute, and new covenant head. Our need to have our rebel hearts subdued, our enemies defeated, and the new creation inaugurated and ultimately consummated is accomplished by him alone as our conquering king. And then Wellam says Christ's threefold office brings into focus the glory of his person and his saving work. Oh, what a glorious savior he is. Hasn't the Lord been good to you? Oh, Praise the king who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. Oh, how good you have always been to me. The heart of every Christian should be able to say how good God has been to me, meeting our need for truth, bringing us holiness and a righteous standing before God, subduing our rebel hearts, defeating every one of our enemies, and making his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. What a glorious Savior he is. And may we together, may you, Grace Community Church, may you experience today and throughout this new year the joy of knowing Jesus, of trusting Jesus, of resting in Jesus as this great prophet, priest, and king. May you continue to grow just as you are, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you all of your days, come whatever may in 2024, may you trust him, may you treasure him, and may you rejoice in him all your days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the riches of salvation that you have given us. This fullness of salvation. What a savior we have in Christ and how can we thank you enough for meeting our greatest needs, for coming after us when we were lost and dead in sin. And Lord, we confess that left to ourselves, we would still be dead in our ignorance and folly our lack of knowledge, our unbelief. But you and your great mercy have come to us. It is not because we are smarter or more intelligent or more knowledgeable than others, but because you and your great love have opened blind eyes to see. And for this, we thank you and we praise you. You've given us a hope and a future. You've given us a savior who is with us all our days. You've given us mercies that are new every morning as this ultimate prophet continues his prophetic ministry in our lives today and throughout this year and all our days. Lord, may you be glorified in us as we are a people standing fast upon your truth, growing in our knowledge of the truth for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.